Hi, you are now listening to the As Told by Reese podcast. I'm your host, Reese, and you're my audience. Audience. Now, whether you're here on purpose or by some happy cosmic guidance disguised as an accident, you're here now. So you might as well stay. And I promise to try to make your time here as interesting as possible. As long as you remember, I said I'd try. Okay, looks like we're all ready for takeoff. Here we go. Lately, a concept that I've been running into comically as if somebody painted a cartoon tunnel on a wall and I keep running into it is the concept of perspective. Now, I'm sure we all know what perspective is, but just because I like giving definitions, let's go ahead and add definition to it. Perspective is a particular attitude toward or way of regarding something, a point of view. I think that's generally universally accepted by a lot of us as what perspective is, point of view, outlook, viewpoint, etc. But it's funny that perspective, the word itself, has another perspective. It is also defined in art terms as the art of drawing solid objects on a two-dimensional surface so as to give the right impression of their height, width, depth, and position in relation to each other when viewed from a particular point. Now, from my perspective, those two definitions couldn't be further apart from each other. One's dealing with a concept of viewpoint, the other one's dealing with the concept of art. But actually, aren't they both dealing with the concept of viewpoint when you really think about it? Aren't they both dealing with the concept of interpretation? So even though those two definitions, by their terms, differ, they have some commonalities, they have some common themes, and to some people, they might actually mean the same thing. What do I mean by that? Well, let me give you an example and see if you could interpret my weird brain like this. Take the concept of a key, for example. A key's got some shapes, it's got some indents, it's supposed to go to something, and usually that thing only. But the more I think about it, how would you be sure that that key only goes to that one specific task, that one specific door? There's seemingly infinite combinations that you could have with key shapes, but really, it has to be finite. It has to be a finite number of options, or a near finite number of options, or there has to have been two keys made by two different key makers, or two different locksmiths have you, that have nothing to do with each other, yet some way, somehow, they have the same exact shape. Or what if that one locksmith, uh, maybe he's not the most ethical or maybe he's forgetful or maybe he figures that these two keys will never interact with each other, makes the same lock for two different keys. You can't say that's impossible because it's happened before, certainly. It's like when two people unrelated to each other, have never heard of each other, have never interacted with each other, happen upon the same idea. It's not that they copied off of each other. Sometimes you just happen upon the same great idea or same terrible idea. So I might lose everyone here at this point, but just try to bear with me. Look at your key to your home, your house, your apartment, whatever your home style is. Let's say you've always known this to be the key to your residence, to your domicile, to your no place like home. 
because it is your home. But let's say for some reason, one day you come across a safe and you just, you just feel like fiddling with the safe for some reason. No one else is around. It's just you. No one else can, can see you do this. It's just you. Let's say you fiddle around the safe. You see a keyhole for that safe and you say, you know what? Eh, why not? Why not give it a try? So you put your home key into that safe and you turn it and blink. Wait, what? It unlocks? Let's say it's an exact replica of the key that would open that safe, or maybe it's almost an exact replica of the key that would open that safe. But either way, that safe is open. The safe contains millions of dollars, some important documents, and a gun. Out of those three things, what would you take? Now for me, I would choose nothing. I would lock that safe up, turn around, leave, and pretend it never existed. I would not take the money, I would not touch the gun, and I would not look at the documents. Why? Because somebody put all of those there. Because from my perspective, all of that would scream danger, danger, danger. Why? Because if someone had a million dollars, why not put it in a financial institution where, hey, no one else can rob it from you, besides the bankers, of course. There's a gun in there that probably means it's evidence and they've used it and if you touch it now you are on the hook for that gun and those documents were important enough to hide with a bunch of money and a gun meaning that whatever's in those documents will probably get you killed if someone cares enough about documents to lock them in a safe with the rest of those items that means whatever's in those documents it would be better if i didn't know because if i do know i'm not a good enough actor to pretend i don't and if it's something the world needs to know, I'm not heroic enough to be the one who unearths it. So personally, I would leave everything alone. But think about it. Before that moment, I didn't know my key to be anything else other than the key to my residence. But now, it's a key to a safe and possibly other residences. So for me, my best bet is to always think of this as a key to my little unimpressive abode and to never find that safe. Because ultimately, I don't think I'd be able to handle it being anything else but a little key to my little space. But where I see dangers, others can see adventures, others can see potential and possibility, others can see excitement, others can see heroism. Because from their perspective, that's what it might be. But for the owners of that safe, it can't be seen as anything other than theft and a death wish by the person that messed with it. Here's the point usually where someone would go into a deeper dive about perspective and how we need to respect each other's or consider each other's and all that really fun stuff or even how we shouldn't respect and consider each other's and all that really angry stuff. But guess what? I'm not going to do either. I'm going to change subjects completely. Bet you did not see that one coming, but you never do. So I've been a creative now for the better part of, I would say, eight or nine years. Eight or nine years. And that's funny because the fact of it is I never actually planned on pursuing any creative endeavors. Um, 
let's see, after high school, I had decided to go one way instead of the other, and that was in the business instead of creative. I'm pretty sure I've said that on this podcast or somewhere before, so that part doesn't matter. That's not all that important. The important thing is I had made my choice, and I decided to stick with it. But little by little, that voice that whispered became a voice that yelled to the point where I could not focus at work. It was legitimately my creative passions and drives were affecting my work. And I'm talking about every facet of work. For me, during my work, I like to be very operational, very strong, very to the point, just really sharp and make few errors and just stay on top of everything. But at my job, I would still get my work done, but it wasn't something I took extreme pride in like before, the fact that I was so good at doing my work. So during meetings, during conferences, well, conference calls, um, in one-on-one sessions, dealing with customers, dealing with employees, my mind would wander to my creative patterns and passions. I would look at things as if I was looking through the lens of a director at a movie. I would think about lines, scripts, songs, sonnets, whatever you can think of, you name it. That's what I, that's what was in my mind. And I couldn't get it out. I would be focusing, listening to somebody. And then all of a sudden, my mind would just shoop, shoop, go somewhere else. And that somewhere else was always a place where I would want to create. But I had no outlet for it. I had no outlet for it at all. And I had no formal training in it at all. I didn't take one single creative course since I graduated high school. No creative writing, no music, no art, nothing. Is basically numbers and letters. But at the moment of inspiration, I would have all these ideas and thoughts that to me sound amazing. It's like no one's probably ever thought of this in this specific way. I have to find a way to get this out here, to get this down. So what I started to do is during my job, during the day, I would keep a notebook with me. And with that notebook, every time that I got inspired from an idea, a thought, those are the same things, any, any type of inspiration, I would be able to write it down. It would be a quick note, quick jot for something that I could come back to later. This was actually really key and really critical in my creative path and my creative drive because it helped me to remember the things that were striking me at the time. Where if I didn't have anything to write it down with, I would probably lose the idea, if not minutes later, especially hours later. It's like a dream. You have a crazy dream, and it's like, yo, this is insane, this is amazing, this is whatever it is. You wake up. If you don't get it down in those waning moments, it's going to escape you. And that dream could have been the most amazing, incredible dream that should be in motion picture screens everywhere. But now, whoop, it's gone. And that's what happened to me a lot. I would be hit with so many creative ideas, creative ideas that some have come to pass in, in lots of huge and... and fascinating ways not by me but by others and it's like oh I had that same idea and I'm sure we've all had a touch of that if not more than a touch of that and when I really fully embraced my creator's lifestyle and I didn't do it right away did not do it right away uh, I took some time it took some time but eventually I transitioned to be able to create often here's the problem with that my creative 
life has been proven to be just as frustrating in a lot of ways as my business life. Why? Because as a creator, at some point, you would hope that your creations can help you pay the bills. And I have bad news for you. At least for me. So far, that hasn't happened. I've created a lot of works that have been well-received, but not well-received enough to pay my bills. And I have things that have actually come out to market. I have a, a YouTube channel. Obviously, you see me doing a podcast. I wrote a children's book. I have songs that are playing globally. Globally. I, I actually do. This is Yeah, that's actually a real thing. And at some point, I'll tell you the story of how I got my songs published independently and they're on pandora spotify all the places and they've gotten a number of plays and still i've seen no money from it and that's as an independent so most of the money should be coming to me or at least a good portion of the money should be coming to me so although i would love to treat creating as a job of mine it's more so a passion because i'm not making any money off of it doesn't mean i won't ever make money off of it but it's not anytime soon and here i am eight, nine years into the game, and I haven't had that big break or that overnight success yet. But guess what? For me, it's still all been worth it. Because I have brain itches. I have brain itches badly. Like stuff that's just in here that has to get out. And although my brain still itches, it doesn't itch nearly as bad as it used to. Back when I was not feeding my creative self, I really didn't have an outlet for a lot of things. Now, there's an outlet for just about everything. Everyone has a YouTube, everyone has an Instagram, everyone has a podcast, everyone has insert platform here. So the creator gang and the creator gang is larger and more accessible than ever. But with it being so large and with it being so accessible, it's hard to stand out. And the truth of the matter is, I may never stand out. I may only get a handful of people that ever watch me, listen to me, understand what I'm saying, like what I'm saying, hate what I'm saying. I'm, I may be drowned out in the sea of noise. And for a significant part of me, that is fine. But if I'm being honest, for another part of me, that could lead to some frustration. It's funny, right? Because I used to question the artists that were like they'd rather be highly acclaimed or critically acclaimed than sell out and be big and for me i was like why would you want to do that why wouldn't you want to do that but now that i'm in the creative spaces that i'm in i see more and more of their argument it changes my perspective it's nothing wrong with being big and etc etc but for me, I always want to stay true to whatever my artistic vision and creativity is. Simply put, I do know what the mass is like. After all, I'm part of the masses. But my content is decidedly not for the masses. Just because that's not the story I want to tell. That's not the way I want to see things. That's not the way I want to show things. And there's nothing wrong with showing things the way the mass is like or that's going to achieve mass appeal, so to speak, is just not how I see my creative life playing out. Which is funny because before I became a creator who does this relatively full-time, I always thought of myself as someone that would go for mass appeal. 
that's what I was like. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go for the mass appeal because I want to be Marvel or anything else. And instead, I'm very art house. I'm like, wow, who knew this about you? But I'm not art house for art house sake. I have very strong pop sensibilities, culture or otherwise. It's just for some reason, when I start to create, I'm thinking, what would the one like to see and not what the masses would? And for me, someone who is an avid consumer of all things pop, that is some cosmically hilarious karma that <laughs> I seem to be experiencing. And this creative lifestyle, this working, staying awake all night, working to the wee hours in the morning, editing and editing and editing, writing through things even though when you're not inspired, um, not being able to write things when you're inspired because you're working with something else, focusing on a project, focusing on several projects, I actually really enjoy this. This is where my energy comes from. I do wish I had a little bit more focus. And I wish I could structure certain things a bit better. But this whole journey, this whole time, I've really been finding my voice. And I think that in and of itself is reward enough. But I would like a lot of money too. Speaking of segues, let's talk about support. Namely, the support you get by those that know you and love you or know you and don't love you so much, but pretend they do. Yep, I'm talking about your friends and family in real and social circles of the media variety. As someone who does anything, and this is out of the creative bubble, as a business owner, as a salesperson, as someone who does anything professionally or someone who wants to do anything for fun or someone who wants to do anything, it can be really hard to get anything started without the right amount of support or without any support at all or without a little support. Now, I only relate this to a creator because that's what I know and do. I put out projects all the time and rarely are they shared or reacted to by the very people I know and love, by the very people I know and love. However, on their timelines, all the time, they're sharing complete and total strangers. All the time, multiple times over, over and over again. All of my friends and family do this. I'm saying enough of them do this to the point where it's like, hey, you really do share a lot of other people, but you don't share me ever. Now, on the one hand, it's easy to get upset at that and be like, why don't you share me? Do you not like my work? Do you not think it's good enough? Et cetera, et cetera. Same thing with business. Same thing with anything in life. However, I'm trying to think of it in a different way. In fact, I think I've convinced myself to think about it in a different way. It's that old saying, you can be everything to everywhere else, but you're nowhere at home. Or something akin to that. And it's because home is so familiar with you. They know you at home. They know what they perceive to be your strengths, your weaknesses, your best attributes, your worst attributes, somewhere in between. They know you in a way that internet stranger doesn't know you. So whatever internet stranger's perspective of you is a lot different than the people that know you is a lot different than 
how those people that know you even have a perspective on you. So that will shape a lot of how they treat you, at least on social media, on the internet. Because generally with your friend and family group, you think a lot of wonderful things about them, but you also think some not so wonderful things about them. You're like, yeah, you're great, but you're not any more special than I am. And I'm either really special or I'm not that special, but you're just you. You're just you. You're just regular. You're just doing this because you've been doing this. And I'm receiving you a certain way because that's how I've always received you, period. It's a lot easier to share, react to someone you don't know at all because you don't know them. Your opinion of them is only formed by what you see of them. So essentially, you'll see them at their peak at their best, at their funniest, at their smartest, at their most engaging, where you've seen your loved one at their worst, or at their most medium, or at their most mediocre. And you look at them, you're like, well, yeah, I'm proud of you in a way, and I want to support you in a way, but you're kind of mediocre, like me. Or you're kind of average, like me. We're just some average Joes, we're just some average Schmoes. And a lot of times, they have no idea they're in the presence of greatness until the greatness is achieved. Until after that greatness is achieved. Because we see people that have made it, be they rich or famous or well-known, as special and different. When in reality, these people we're most likely in the same position you find yourself in at some point in their life. Before they became whoever they became, it was the climb or the ascent. And that's why you hear so many stories about for all the people that doubted me, etc., etc. It's not that they necessarily doubted you. It's that they possibly doubt themselves. They see themselves as regular and therefore... They see you as regular, and it's not a slight. They just see you all as pretty much the same. And they can't imagine certain things for themselves, so how could they imagine it for you? Because for most areas, unless it's sports, you can't really tell the difference between you and your best friend or your brother, sister, cousin, etc. Now, there are other arenas, certainly, but sports tells you right away who's a lot better than anyone else. It's the one area where certainly there can be standouts and they can be identified right away. But there's also that person in sports who may not be the most talented at first, but they work on it and they grind and they grind and they get so much better that you can't recognize how much better they are and say, oh, that must have been natural talent all along. No, they put in the work and the practice and the effort and the energy to get so much better than what they were when you first saw them. And that's just it. A lot of times we don't afford each other the opportunity of getting a lot better than we were the first time we encountered it. Let's say my earlier work of editing or creating wasn't the best. Well, for those that know me and love me, that's probably going to be their interpretation of my work moving forward. Why? Because at a certain point in time, that's what they saw from me. That's what they received from me. They don't know that there's a climb to getting better, period. Or they can't see that there's a climb to getting better. Because getting better 
isn't overnight. It's incrementally. Unfortunately, when it comes to things that we ourselves can't do, it's much easier to believe in someone we don't know than someone we do know. Because, like I've said earlier, we think we are the same. And that's incorrect. We can be similar, but we are not the same. We don't have the same gifts. We don't have the same abilities. But when you're too close to something in a subject, you might think you do. You might feel you do. So from them, you may never get the support you're looking for. But from others, you'll get all the support in the world. What's the difference? Those people don't know you as well as these people. So they don't know about your mediocrity. Or maybe they do, but <laughs> they understand that mediocrity is part of that growth, is part of that change. So to wrap that up, unfortunately, sometimes it's just easier to support the person you don't know, or the concept you don't know, or the team you don't know, than those that you do know. So when you do find that loved one that's close to you, or relatively close to you, or internet close to you, or Instagram close to you, whatever you have it, Hold on to them. Really treasure and cherish them because they're supporting you out of a really good place. And if that person keeps riding with you no matter what, or those people, like really, really, really hold on to them and take care of them one way or the other. Because just as I can't blame the people that haven't followed me from my Reese the Banker to Reese the Creator transition, I have to be very grateful for those that have followed me from the Reese to Banker to the Reese to Creator transition because they believe in my ability and they've seen that ability shine through. So, in my opinion, reward those that believe in you by creating the best thing you can create. Whether that be a real estate business, accounting firm, you're making movies, you're making scripts, you're an actor. For those that support and believe in you, to, in my opinion, it's your job to give it your all. Because they could be anywhere in the world, but they're here with you. And for that, speaking of creating, I've been wondering this for a while now. Do superhero shows or movies always need a romantic angle or a romance angle at all? I personally am kind of getting tired of it. It's To me, it's kind of formulaic. And it's like, ugh. Sometimes it gets in the way of the story. Does it always have to be romance? With very few exceptions, there always has to be romance. And a lot of times I'm like, eh, that's in a way. It's, it's cool, it's cute, but the romance angle of the superhero movie has been done so often. And also it's been to me, executed so poorly that I just want to see something different for a change, but also something different in a good movie. Because there are a couple of superhero movies, or one in particular that didn't necessarily have a lot of romance in it, or any romance at all, but that's for a few different reasons, and the movie wasn't that good in the first place. I want a good movie that takes out a romance angle. Having said that, if I'm the one saying that, maybe I'm the one that should be making it. Maybe I should create the hero movie that has no romance in it, or if it does romance, does romance in such a different way that it's, wow, this has 
done something different with this very, very, very often used superhero genre, which to me has probably seen its apex for the modern times. It's not that it won't continue grossing billions of dollars and create industry. It's just I don't think the interest level will be as high moving forward as it has been previously. Because at some point, what goes up must come down. It's one of those laws by that guy that did that thing that time. That guy being Newton. Speaking of descending or falling, crashing, hurtling to Earth, we have now come to the end of our podcast episode. That podcast being as told by Reese, and I, as always, am your host, Reese. And as always, thank you so much for journeying with me. I really appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. And you know what? When you have something, I'm going to support you. So until next time, take care. Bye now.